highest of heights to the depths of the sea. And Jesus knew that he wouldn't be with his disciples very much longer in the flesh, meaning, humanly speaking, he was with them for three and a half years. And now he's going to depart from them. And what does a good shepherd do before he departs? He prepares. Welcome, everyone, to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible-teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. The Scripture says, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. The disciples feared when Jesus left, then their discipleship program was over and it had barely started. Their discipleship program wasn't finished and it was only just beginning. Jesus again promised to come to the disciples as he did before. This was a broad promise fulfilled by his resurrection, by the sending of the Spirit, and by the promise of his bodily return to this earth. Jesus continued to assure the disciples of his presence with them even after his departure. This tells us that as believers, we too are assured of Jesus' presence with us. Now let's join Pastor Rob. Lord willing, we'll finish John uh, chapter 4 this morning. It's been a great journey, and we've kind of taken our... uh, our time going through the Gospel of John, as you know, there's some books that, uh, that really just afford us to really not rush through, and I don't think I've ever been known to rush through anything, but, but I, just, I just love the Word of God, don't you? I love the way it, it, uh, the Lord just speaks to us, and there's so much here we can learn. If we would just read the Word of God, our, our hearts would be changed. And our worries and the things uh, of, of this life will we'll, we'll we'll be able to deal with them because we know the truth. And the truth will do what? It will set you free. And who is the truth? Jesus is the truth. And his word is truth, right? That means two things. Uh, his word that we have in front of us and his word, God the Father's word, is Jesus Christ. He is the, the Redeemer, the Redeemer. And so as we look, uh, we're going to finish this chapter, Lord willing, like I said today, my hope is to, but there's a lot here, and I don't want to uh, uh, rush through it, but last time we got together, we really looked at just the uh, verse 15, really, and some into 16, and remember, Jesus now is at the Last Supper. In fact, these last chapters, really chapters 13 through 17, are all happening, the, 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 the place, the venue for those, those chapters, 13 through 17, is in an upper room where they had the Passover lamb, they had the Passover meal, and Jesus instituted what we would call communion today for the first time. 
And Jesus knew that he wouldn't be with his disciples very much longer in the flesh, meaning, humanly speaking, he was with them for three and a half years, and now he's going to depart from them. And what does a good shepherd do before he departs? He prepares. That's what a, any good shepherd, any good parent would do before they leave. You know, people on their deathbed, when they're, when they're about to leave this earth and they know they're terminal and their, their death is imminent, their heart is to prepare those who are left behind. That's what they desire to do. And nobody's thinking about money. <laughs> and they're, not th- they're thinking about family. They're thinking about family. And that's what Jesus is thinking about. He knows his death is imminent. Hours from that moment, he would be crucified. But thank God, three days later, what? He rose again. Death no longer had defeated him. It never had defeated him. He defeated it openly. Right? But Jesus is now preparing his disciples. He's preparing his disciples. And you remember last week we looked at this. um, And so he's telling them that he's going to go away, but that he's going to send another comforter or another helper. If you've got a King James, it says comforter. If you've got a new King James, it says helper. Same thing. The Greek word is parakletos, the paraclete. And that means somebody who draws alongside of you. And really, when you and I came to Christ, the Holy Spirit was drawing alongside of us. He was with us at times, wooing us, if you would, to himself. And then once we are wooed to him, once we take the bait, once we say, you know what, I'm in love with you, you take the bait, and then he comes in you. He takes up residence in your heart. And you're born again when the Spirit of God comes in you. And this is something unique to the New Testament church. But then it doesn't end there, and we'll look at this today, because Jesus is saying, I'm going to indwell you by my Spirit. And he he breathes upon his disciples. He breathes upon them, just as God breathed into Adam in that first, and when he created Adam, he breathed, and he breathed new life into him, and basically brought him to life out of dust. He formed him out of the clay, breathed into him, and he became a living soul, just as that creation event When Jesus, when God breathed into Adam, so too now, because we need a new nature, God breathes into us his spirit, and we are saved. We are born again when that happens. And that's very important. Because unless the spirit of God is in you, you're not one of his. That's what the Bible says. It tells us that in Romans. The Spirit of God has not indwelt you. You are not one of Christ. You may be a religious person. You may have given a lot to the church. You may be the greatest giver. But see, God doesn't care about how much we give. He cares about our heart. He's more concerned about you and I. He doesn't care about money. I don't know if you knew this, but most churches today, they're more concerned about money. But God is more concerned about your soul and where you're going to spend eternity. Because he loves you and he wants you to be with him. Because there's only one alternative, folks, other than knowing Christ, and that's spending an eternity apart from him in hell, where there is torment and fire. It is not a good place. And it will be forever, do you understand? And that fact scared me to death, and that actually brought me to Christ. Don't let anybody fool you thinking, well, he's you know, talking about these difficult things, and I'm scared. Well, listen, you know, sometimes I needed to be scared before I came to Christ. I needed to be fearful before I came to him. <laughs> Did it, were any of you fearful? Maybe you didn't know, but I, need, I, I was fearful because I knew that if I died at that moment, I was taking a, the corkscrew down to Hades, okay? 
But God loves us. He loves us too much to see us go to that place. And he wants to bless you. And so Jesus is preparing. And he's telling them, guys, the Spirit of God has been with you, but he will be in you. He will be in you. Just a few days later, the Spirit of God would be in them. And then he tells them later on that the Holy Spirit will come upon them. Yes, three different characteristics or relationships that we have with the Spirit of God. With you, in you, and upon you. And it's so important to understand that. Because when, you're, when the Spirit of God is in you, your ticket is stamped to glory. But I need power in this world of sin. I need power even with this body of death that I still have, where I still have this old nature. There's a new nature in me if I'm, the Spirit of God is in me, and it's battling for um, dominance. And sometimes I let this old nature rear its ugly head. And God wants to squelch it. He wants to push it down. He wants to step on it and stand on it and says, no further. You're not going to express yourself any longer. There's a new sheriff in town, and I got a bigger gun. A 44 Magnum, like back in the old days with Clint Eastwood. Remember that 44 Mag? And he had two of them, too, and I liked that very much. Anyway. <laughs> so that's what Jesus is doing. He's preparing his disciples like a good shepherd, he's preparing them. And so let's look at uh, John chapter uh, 14. If you remember, last time we were together, we looked at uh, the fact that the, the helper, this paraclete, would come alongside of us. We looked at him coming alongside, wooing us into, into the kingdom. And we also know that he indwells us. In fact, the Bible tells us that there are these three relationships that we have. And we'll look at those again today. Some will be a review for us from last week. But he comes with us or alongside of us. The Greek word is para. You can look this up in the Greek if you have a Strong's Concordance. But he comes alongside of us. And then finally, Jesus says, But you know him, for he, the Spirit of God, he dwells with you, but he will be in you. Notice it hadn't happened yet. He will be in you. And this is when the Spirit of God woos us and he finally comes into our hearts um, and so we looked at that, and in fact, uh, he says, he will be in you, and this is when the Spirit of God indwells. The Greek word is en, means the same thing. It means the same thing. In fact, if you look at Romans 8, and, and I'll just read these to you, because this is important to know. It says in Romans 8, verse 9, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. The Greek word is en. That's the relationship. It's gotta, he's got to be in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. He's not his. See, people in the Old Testament, they weren't called Christians. Christians is a new term in the New Testament. It came from Antioch when they first started calling these believers, these people who were walking with Jesus, they called them Christians. And what it means is Christ ones. It means those who believe in Christ. And more than just believing him, they believe what he said. And they held to the things that he said. That's what a Christian is. But prior to that, Christian, the word term Christian was unknown the Old Testament saints, they just believed in God. And by their faith in God, that is what saved them. They didn't have the Spirit of God indwelling us like you and I have today. What a great privilege we have in, the new, in this uh, after Christ has died and rose again. He's given us the Comforter, the Helper, the Holy Spirit to indwell us. 
And how wonderful is that? But notice, he says, and if Christ is in you, and we're still in Romans 8 here, and if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. I don't know about you, but when you, know, when you hear about people being possessed by a spirit, we normally think in the negative. We think of The Exorcist. Anybody see that movie when you were younger? It was one of the worst movies I've ever seen. And I remember seeing it when I was, I forget how old I was. It was I was really young, and I saw it, and I couldn't sleep for days. I couldn't sleep for days. But see, the Spirit of God, you don't have to fear the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is gentle. And the Spirit of God loves you, and when He indwells you, you're, being, you're possessed by a spirit. See, everybody's possessed by a spirit, or at least influenced by a spirit. The vast majority of the world is influenced by another spirit, the spirit of Antichrist. But you and I have the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God indwelling us. There's nothing to be afraid of. Ask him into your heart if you haven't already. Become a born-again believer. And believe me, when you do, your life will change. Your desires, your passions, your whole life will change. Mine changed, and i got to be honest with you, I had my own track in my life. I wanted to go a certain way, and God got a hold of me and changed me and spun me around, and I literally repented. I went the opposite direction. That's what repentance is. I'm going one way, and God gets a hold of me, and I do an about-face, and I turn the opposite direction. Instead of giving in to the desires of my flesh, feeding my flesh, and the desires of it, now I desire to, to, to be governed completely by His Spirit and doing the things that please Him. And His, things aren't, his commandments aren't grievous, are they? It's only good. It's only when I finally surrender this, this rebel in my heart, when I finally surrender and I put up the white flag my life really begins. And is it easy? No, it's not easy. And if anybody tells you it's easy, they're lying to you. You then become aware of the real battle. <laughs> Until then, you were just a prisoner of arms. You were a prisoner in arms. You were a prisoner of war. And now you actually are a victor in Christ because of him who's in you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen? And remember that, folks. You know, my daughter, I remember, and, and she's not here this morning, so I can say this. I'm not going to embarrass her, but I remember, you know, every child, when they're young, they have this, this period of time where they're afraid of the dark. And I told her one day, I said, Honey, Jesus is in you, and darkness ought to be afraid of you. You don't need to fear darkness. Darkness fears you. And I believe that. Never forget that. You and God as a majority. Actually, without us, he's still a majority. But with him in us, the Spirit of God in us, there is nothing you need to be afraid of. You can walk in in the middle of a satanic church and preach the gospel and fear no evil. <laughs> right? The demons are shrieking. People are jumping out of the windows. You know, they're, you know, people, you know, you know I'm just having a little Hollywood moment there. <laughs> But you get, you get my point. You are greater. The Spirit of God in you is greater. You don't need to fear. Darkness fears you. That's why it attacks you. And the more you're attacked, the more you realize the battle is on. The battle is on. Has anybody realized there's kind of a battle happening right now 
Have you realized that in the world, in America especially? There's a battle going on. Anybody aware of it? Oh, yeah. And Jesus, speaking to Nicodemus, he said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. The idea is, the Greek word is geneo anothen. It means literally to be born again, spiritually born. We were all born physically. In fact, his dialogue with Nicodemus was such, Nicodemus was like, Lord, how can I be born again? Can I crawl into my mother's womb again and be born? And Jesus says, no, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. We were all born of the flesh. We all came out. We were born of water. Water. We were floating around in that little amniotic sack all nice and warm until it broke one day. And then out we came, and then we started to cry because we were very happy in our hot tub. But just as we were born physically, we also need to be born spiritually because we are, our spirit is at enmity with God. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that's why we need a new nature. We need a new governor over us, and that is the Spirit of God in us. And, and so Nicodemus and Jesus had this wonderful dialogue, and, and Nicodemus came to the Lord later on in life. Later on, actually, in a few years from there, he came to the Lord, and he helped Joseph of Arimathea take the body of Jesus down from the cross, and they, they anointed his body with uh, ointments and, and, and things, and they buried him together, these two wonderful men of God. And so, and notice, he will be in you. Jesus said to the disciples, he dwells with you and will be in you. So let me ask a question. When did the Holy Spirit indwell the disciples? Now, there's a lot of scriptures up here. I'm going to leave this up here for a while because we've got a lot of things to talk about. So when did this actually happen? When were they actually indwelt with the Spirit of God? And I believe, if, if you open your Bibles to John chapter 20, just open there if you would. Most of the time I'm spoon-feeding you and uh, I'm just kind of giving you the scriptures. But go there, please, because this is a, a, a critical passage. John chapter 20, beginning in verse 19. Let's look at it. It says, Then the same day, and now this occurred after Jesus' crucifixion, after his resurrection, the very day, the Sunday, that he rose from the grave, that very evening he came and he spoke to the disciples in the upper room while the door was closed. And it says, The same day at evening, verse 19, being the first day of the week, Sunday that is, when the doors were shut and where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And so Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And notice verse 22, very important. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. We believe that that is the moment that they were born again that the Spirit of God indwelt those 12 men, or the 11, actually. Judas was already gone. And he breathed on them. The Greek word is emphaseo, and really what it means is to blow at or to breathe on, to puff, literally. And the last time we, uh, this word only occurs um, in the Old Testament, uh, you know that there's a, a thing, a, a writing called the Septuagint, which is really just, 
the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and some Greek translators translated that Hebrew into Greek because we know the New Testament was written in Greek. So they translated the Hebrew into Greek, and they translated this word, and it's only used twice, once here in John 20, and the other time we see it is in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, where God breathed into Adam. He breathed into him. He resuscitated him. He brought him to life. It's the very similar word. And so we believe that this was when the disciples were born again. So what does this mean? Does this mean that everyone in the Old Testament from the moment of creation in the Garden of Eden up until Jesus, does that mean that none of those people were saved and that they're not going to heaven? No, they're going to go to heaven. But it was a different thing because they believed, all of them believed They believed in God, and they believed in the promise of the Messiah. They believed in this one whom the Scriptures for hundreds of years had been talking about and prophesying of. They put their faith in God. They put their faith in Christ, and it was by their faith that they were saved. That's how it worked in the Old Testament. By their faith, they were saved. And even if one of the disciples were to die because they ate undercooked lamb chops while they were there with Jesus, before he breathed on them, would they have gone to heaven? Yes, they would have. Why? By faith. Because they believed in Jesus. But now he's going to pour out his spirit. He's going to breathe into them. They're going to receive a new nature. And King David, and it says in Ephesians 2, verse 8, right? For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of, your, uh, of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Because we would if we could. If we had something to do with it, we would boast and say, I've done this great thing and therefore God owes me. Hey, listen, God owes us nothing. I deserve hell. That's what I deserve. And I'll just be honest with you. Even on my best days, I deserve hell. (laughs) But I'm not going to hell. And if you're a believer, neither are you. But see, King David was saved, and he didn't have the Spirit of God indwelling him, but he believed and had faith in God, and he was saved by grace through faith. And so this indwelling of the Holy Spirit was a new relationship because of Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension. He would send the Spirit of God. And again, remember that if we don't have Christ in us, we are not His. But when we have the Spirit of God in us, this is what they call, the King James calls it, the earnest of our salvation. It's basically a guarantee. If In your new King James, it'll say it's a guarantee. It's a down payment. God, when, he, when you go to buy a car, you put a, you, you know, most of us anyway, unless you got a lot of cash, um, most of us put a down payment on a car. We put a couple thousand dollars down on the car, and then we make payments on it, and then finally we come back and we, at our last payment, we receive that possession, and we take it with us. That's usually how they do it. Now we can take the car home with us, and they, they're hoping that we'll continue to pay the payments. But in most places in the world, that's not the way it is. You've got to make payments, and then when you pay it off, you take it home. But the earnest is the down payment. The Spirit of God in you is that earnest. It's the down payment until Christ comes for us, hopefully today, hopefully before the next word I speak. Wouldn't that be great? He's like, I'm going to interrupt you, Rob. <laughs> Please do. It's all about you, Lord. You just, you know, whatever. Don't worry, we'll edit the tape. It's all right. You know, but when he comes for us, he's going to take possession physically of us. He's put the down payment in. He's going to redeem what's left, and he's going to change it, and he's going to completely give it a new body, and we're going to be caught up together 
and we will meet him in the air. That's what we call the rapture of the church. It's coming. Do you believe that? The Bible tells us all about it. That's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of John. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as our location, service times, information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, and information regarding Bread of Life Academy, our new school opening in the fall of 2023. Just click the school link at the top of the page for more information. Additionally, you may also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play Podcast or Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.